This podcast was brought to you by Good Episode Productions, and you should be thankful. Like Lou Reed's Metal Machine music. <laughs> the, the podcast version done by a tortoise. You know, you know, George, it's exactly like that. Yeah. <laughs> you certainly made a lot of sounds just there. That was good. Yeah. What is not a podcast if the, not the recording of sounds? Can't argue that. <laughs> I think it's someone drilling a hole into my skull and watching all the fluids leak out and then turning that into audio form and then putting it on the internet for some reason. Profit. Hopefully. Is that is that the tortoise again, or are you just? No, that's just microphone? me shifting. <laughs> it's just George Russell. I'm sorry. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> this is why it takes so long to edit. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, tortoise, tortoise time. It's just a five-minute segment where we record the tortoise shuffling around and we play. Okay. That in. I'm pro that. I'm very pro George's tortoise. His mm-hmm. name I can't remember because it isn't Atu, and I'm sorry, George. Percy. It's not a turtle. Oh, that's a good point. It's the same thing. Tortoises and turtles Whoa. are the same no, animal. One of them is no, they're not. I had one swims, one just hangs out. Yeah. It's, in my okay, I'm gonna. In my defense, in German, there's just one word for them. Your kid? Yeah. No way. They're different animals. It's <laughs> yeah. like having the same word for a zebra and a horse. No, it's like yeah. it's like house cat or wild cat, you know, and both have cat in it. Like there's, you know, the Landschildkröte and Meeresschildkröte or whatever. That seems uh, silly. German is a language of many, many nouns, and they can't come up with nouns for tortoise and turtle. I'm coming after you, Janosch. This is specifically <laughs> why aren't you fixing the German language? Probably <laughs> someone needs to. <laughs> um, it, it is just like putting words together, isn't it? German, it's putting... Compound putting nouns. Words. Yeah, compound nouns. Compound Look, nouns. hey. <laughs> hey. I pulled up the Wikipedia on tortoise, and this is call-out post for, for all of you who were doubting me on turtles and tortoise being the same. It says, tortoise is a reptile species of the family Tetsudine of the order Tetsudines, in brackets, the turtles. They are particularly okay, distinguished but... from other turtles by being land-dwelling, while many, though not all, other turtle species are at least partly aquatic. So, there you got it. Tortoises are just a subspecies of turtles. Okay. Alright. You get Wrong. a free pass. Wrong. For now. <laughs> hmm. In year four, our class had two pet um, tortoises, and they were very cute, and we called them Sam and, Sam and Ella as a way to remind us yeah. to not get salmonella and wash our hands after handling the tortoises. All right. <laughs> it's my only t- uh, tortoise anecdote, so I have to share it whenever they're brought up. I don't uh, have a tortoise anecdote, but I would like to ride one into battle, I think, like a giant tortoise. Mm. <laughs> that would be pretty yeah. epic. I think that would mm. be cool. Yeah. I think that it's would be... the slowest cavalry charge of all time. <laughs> I'm also just like looking at the Wikipedia and there's a... Um, very cute picture of a baby tortoise here. Oh, they're very sweet. Yeah, and they hatch out of um, big egg comets. So this linking didn't work. <laughs> it just links to the actual article instead of the picture I wanted to link to. I can it, see it a big picture. picture. Of a tortoise. The big tortoise is still good, but you know, it has a very small head and like very small neck in relationship to the rest of his body. What's up with that? Are you looking but, at the uh, young African Solcata tortoise? Because that is very cute and very small. Yeah, that's what I meant. I do love it. 
Oh, and there's a little baby tortoise feeding on lettuce. I like to watch them eat. Watching them eat is good. Yeah. This is like two weeks after we discover that there was that tortoise that saved his entire species like single-handedly <laughs> by having sex so much. <laughs> Do you guys see that news article? I, I did, yeah. I remember seeing that. Also, there is a picture of tortoises having sex like further down at the gallery section. Nice. That's what I'm after. <laughs> <laughs> Just the best thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the beauty of life, you know. I don't want to see it. <laughs> it's nature. Yeah. This, is, this is the only moral that the Lion King was teaching us that it's <laughs> okay and also good to look at turtles having sex. <laughs> yeah, is that remember what the is? that scene in the Lion King <laughs> where like Simba and his father um, watch two turtles like going going down on each other. And <laughs> yeah, and the dad's like, someday, Simba, this will be yours to watch. <laughs> <laughs> this tableau will belong to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we start? Yeah, yeah this was a good card open. Yeah. Okay. Blue. Clap, clap, for, clap for Your me, children. We didn't clap. Don't yeah. worry. We can still do it. Oh, and also, we didn't Craig. Craig. Now so, recording. You know how Americans. Yeah, Americans say you know Craig, Amer- and that's. I, I don't Craig? understand because it's A and I is always pronounced in A as as lit- in literally every other word. Yeah, Craig. Yeah, it's Craig. But, like, it's but Craig. then they also say Graham like Graham. They're like, oh, I Graham. Like Graham yeah. crackers. Fuck off. Graham crackers. Graham. Craig and Graham. I was thinking about I was thinking about the word herb. Do Americans say herbal tea? Uh, probably. Yeah, they say herb. Most of them, yeah. Why? It's great they because don't, they don't pronounce the H for some reason. Are they Cockney? Yeah, exactly. I was going to say like the British are famous for dropping the H's, uh, and then Americans are the ones who drop the H from herb and act like that was super normal. I think it's an older pronunciation of it. I think. I looked it up once because it, it was confusing. Um, I mean, I yeah, think... th- to be not to defend the Americans, but I also heard <laughs> that uh, linguistically, American English is closer to like Shakespeare the, the original English or yeah. whatever, like the way I, I English was that. actually pronounced. Yeah, they have um, they have like uh, they sort of received pronunciation styles from dialects that like don't really exist here anymore so in a big way yeah and they have i just think that the way they pronounce some things is wrong (laughs) yeah which is it which is in itself bad i am anti-prescriptivist i think people should pronounce things (laughs) except um, for americans we can prescribe them to complain exactly yeah No, I was just going to say, because okay. you know how every time a movie takes place in old times, everyone it. speaks British for some reason? Yeah, I think it's yeah. so funny. <laughs> I was talking about this on Fear Baiting today, because we watched The Brothers Grimm, and the accents in that are really inconsistent and really weird, because it's supposed to be in um, France-occupied Germany, um, but everyone just speaks with weird British regional accents. It's very funny. I didn't know it was meant to be in that setting and i've seen this movie that does not come across destiny is not a matter of chance it is a matter of choice it is not a thing to be waited for 
It is a thing to be achieved. William Jennings What does that mean? This kind um, of fits into the theme of our book today, honestly. Yeah, it's about choice. <laughs> well, it's about trying to... You want to make a choice, but sometimes society has made a choice for mm. you, you know? It really makes mm-hmm. you think. Um, also, okay, I George, get, George, are you back? I've got a carrot. Hopefully that will calm him down. There's okay. also, like... Because on time that is, yeah, they also, like... carrot. Fuck's sake. <laughs> okay, so I was gonna say on time that I wanted to. I, I had a great bit here, and George keeps talking about carrots. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, Yanosh. I'm listening. Yeah. That's just the business, Yanosh. <laughs> I'm so, muting all of you. You know how Janosch. on time that is, there's always these weird, specific. Uh, holidays that no one cares about that's like written there like i don't know hamburger day or pancake day or whatever so this uh, this time there they they say and i've never heard of this one independence day usa i haven't heard of that one yeah oh shit what is that what would it be independent from the usa the what (laughs) where is where where is the usa 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 Asa? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Probably Uz, like. Uzza. Usa nuts. Usa <laughs> these nuts? <laughs> That's good. Thank you. Okay, I'm, I'm bringing us in now. Okay. Um, I'm gonna cast. Hello and welcome back to Who Watches the Watch. Um, a Discworld reread podcast and beloved by everyone, especially Facebook dads. Um, I'm your host, Chaz. I'm your host, Lucy. I'm your host, Janos. And I'm your host, George. And it is delightful to have you all here with me today, as always. Mm-hmm. Today, we read the first half of Equal Rights. Equal Rights. And yeah. We're, today we're learning about equality. Finally. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Pratchett. Finally, Thank someone you. someone said it. No one was talking about this. And he was like, I'm reading all these tweets saying that no one's <laughs> talking about this. And I'm going to write a book about it. So then someone will be talking about it. And that's what he did. Yeah. Now, to be fair, this was in 1987. Uh, it's, yeah, I think it's pretty good. I'm really enjoying it so far. I think this is like, for 1987, pretty progressive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that long ago. Like they had like the whole second wave by that point, so you know, it's, yeah, it's in there. It's in the zeitgeist, maybe. Yeah, there are lots of feminist actions in Britain in the eighties. My mum was in Green yeah. and Common. Yeah, mine too. Mine was. Yeah, but like <laughs> your mums never wrote fantasy books, so yeah, Take we no. did the real service to society here. Well, Terry Pratchett solved gender. <laughs> For fantasy, it's in. It is a like progressive. I mean, he was 
basically in his essay he says that at the time that he wrote it there wasn't a lot of fantasy writers doing a lot of stuff about gender in that way um it would normally be like high science fiction um but it wouldn't really go into it in any sort of specificity he says Ursula Le Guin does more about it later on but not at the time that he wrote this he wanted to talk about like fantasy tropes of witches and wizards especially in like regards to folklore and the differences between them in traditional especially traditional British and European stories and wider folklore as well which was why he wrote this. And honestly, yeah. Terry Pritchett should have known that like a decade later, a true feminist is going to appear and write a successful fantasy book series about witches and wizards. And of course, I'm talking about J.K. Rowling. And I think she really solved the gender disparity problem in a way that Terry Pritchett never could have. <laughs> yeah. J.K. Rowling oh. was like, "I'm going to, I'm going to deconstruct gender mm-hmm. identity in a way that is uh, material and matters," and that's been her goal since. I don't know. I haven't been on Twitter in twenty years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she said, "What if boys love sport? Um, <laughs> girl, girl nag, <laughs> women nag." Well, no, but you're forgetting Ginny, who was one girl who loves sport. So she's yeah. the. Uh, Cool girl. So yeah, J.K. Rowling invented uh, the cool girl, and I think you're forgetting that. <laughs> I, I really appre- appreciate what you did with Ginny, which is uh, having a crush on Harry, and when she finally gets together with him, giving up all her ambitions. I think, as any, I think she as did a great job should. on that. That sounds, that sounds pretty goal. feminist. All, all women just want to have children at, like, 24. Yeah, mm-hmm. like Tonks, with yes. an older man. In his like late thirties, yeah, that's my goal. <laughs> get to Fantastic. it, then, Liz. <laughs> I'm not 24 yet. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. You're you're youthful. And um, speaking of people who do incredible work in doing good gender <laughs> representation in their yes. fantasy books. <laughs> Bring on the segment, oh, Janosch. Where's, where's this going? <laughs> where could this be going? Which where where would my twisted mind lead this podcast <laughs> next? Uh, of course, I'm, I'm I'm going through my rolodex of fantasy authors who are really good with gender, mm-hmm. and there's one name that springs to mind: the name of the wind, Michael Crichton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, I'm talking about Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, yes, who, yeah, man, friend of the show, friend of the show, Patrick Rothfuss, who besides <laughs> writing two very successful fantasy books and um, the Rick and Morty Dungeons and Dragons comics, is is most famous for for his work on Goodreads.com, uh, especially mm-hmm. in the section of Terry Pratchett reviews. Um, Damn. And he, he wrote a review on Equal Rights Discord number three, which is number one, which is how uh, how this book is uh, logged on. Goodreads.com. Mm-hmm. It has a 4.03 stars out of five, which is pretty good. Yeah, that's like, pretty high for Goodreads. That's <laughs> pretty high for fun. Equal Rights, which good. is Ooh. while is is a really good book, uh, is like not not near Terry Pratchett's best. No, um, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's probably like 
a, a whole point higher than Hamlet is. So eat shit, Shakespeare. It's what it deserves, in my opinion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is Patrick's five-star review of Equal Rights from June 29, 2000. I, I don't think this is right. I don't think he know. He, <laughs> he <laughs> logged the book in 2009... And then he wrote the review in 2015. So this is a review from 2015. This website is so fucking bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, here's so his review. Uh, I just recently revisited this book after a couple years away from it. What's more, I've just recent reread several of the more recent witch novels from Pratchett. This is an awful sentence, Patrick. <laughs> but no, he's a writer, Janosch. I think this is just part of his uh, style and uh, <laughs> you can't criticize it. So What's more, mean. I've just recent reread several of the more recent witch novels from Pratchett, so they're fresh in my head. Actually, that's very smart. That's a smart sentence. You're mm, being yeah. mean. Stop trying to cancel yeah, you, him. You haven't written two very successful fantasy yeah. novels, Janosch, so... <laughs> I, I guess, yeah, I who am I to say that you shouldn't say recent twice in a sentence? Uh, and use one of those recent Use wrong. one of those wrong... <laughs> Granny Weatherwax is one of my favorite characters of Pratchett and as an author it does me good to see how she began as a character he can't resist (laughs) saying as an author can he it's It's gonna be in literally everyone as an author I read this book and learned nothing I think I'm gonna start peppering that into um, because as as you guys know, I'm problematic and use Goodreads. I think when I start reviewing stuff, I'm going to mm-hmm. start saying as an author. Please. Okay. I mean, you could... Hmm. That, I, I do have count... self-published one book. Oh, that's, that counts. I thought yes. you were going to count like a podcasting as a type of authorship. No. I mean, it was a book I self-published when I was like 15. So <laughs> it's not good. Oh, and I won't classic. tell anybody what it's called or how to find it. But it's out there. I'm a published author. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! If we ever, if we ever get a Patreon, that can be one of the. <laughs> mm-hmm. You wish. <laughs> I actually got a phone call from a publishing company that I, I when I was fifteen, um, I tried to self-publish my book, except I never finished it, so <laughs> I couldn't even get to that stage. <laughs> well, they should have paid you like a, a royalty fee, like upfront, so you could finish it. That's on them. Yeah. I mean, I can't can't believe they were still, they were like phoning me. It was really bizarre. I was like, that was seven years ago, you know? Also, speaking of, speaking of Patreon, I wanted to give a shout out to everyone who found us through the Facebook post that was up for like an hour until, (laughs) until someone said, hey, I don't agree with your ACAP stance and that that didn't get deleted but then someone else says oh I love a leftist reading and also ACAP and then it got deleted <laughs> so yeah big up to yeah. anybody who's like still listening to yeah if you've about, managed like... to be online in that like one or two hour time frame and many and listen to this and still like it welcome welcome uh, and we let love us welcome. let us know if yeah. you want us to start a patreon we love money <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, this got posted on the LGBT um, Discworld mm-hmm. uh, Facebook as well. So, welcome all you from that group. You are the chosen ones. Yeah. You are the chosen of this podcast. We love you. Um, I'm giving you air kisses. <laughs> I think it's very funny that um, the apolitical <laughs> Discworld group 
decided that saying you're a cop and a cab is bad is not political, but saying a cab is political. Just an interesting, interesting thing, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could you imagine if Terry Pratchett had put politics in his books? <laughs> uh, Cancelled. There's no deeper meaning. It's just a funny story about a two wizard, a wizard, and yeah. his friend. They are just friends. Yeah. Speaking of that, and did it's... you read the um? Did you read the quotes at the beginning of this book? I don't think I had that Which in ones? my copy. No, I don't think I had that in mine either. Oh, I'm, 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 having, page. I'm on an ebook. So yeah, same. It's an um, acknowledgement. It says, thanks to Neil Gaiman, who loaned us this last surviving copy of the Liber Pigginarum Fulvarum, and a big hello to the kids of the H.P. Lovecraft Holiday Fun Club. I would like it to be clearly understood that this book is not wacky. Only dumb redheads in 50s sitcoms are wacky. No, it's not zany either. <laughs> All right. So, Terry <laughs> says, my book is not wacky. <laughs> Fuck off, he says. No wackiness here. This book is not very wacky. Look, that's just his opinion, and <laughs> the author is dead. Yeah, in this case, literally. Janosch killed. Anyway. Janosch killed him. Oh God, <laughs> <Yeah>. George. <laughs> I didn't mean that. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. <sighs> oh, okay. Right. Okay. Janosch, continue with your yeah. Patrick Rothfuss. Patrick Rothfuss says this book has some rough edges. There's nothing wrong with it, mind you, but it was still very early on in Pratchett's career. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the smoothness of his later work. This world is not nearly as developed, and neither is his writing style. Which, like, it's the third book, how would it be developed? Granny doesn't have her friend Nanny Og, <laughs> which is a great observation, Patrick. Shut up, Patrick, I hate you. I think also, I think the writing in this book is, like, really good. <laughs> That's one it's of the miles better than the on. first two, yeah. Yeah, like the the difference from going from reading like the color of magic and life and death yeah. to this book, it's just like the the prose is so much better. I mean, yeah, it's not like fully realized Discworld, but not a lot of it takes place in Ankhmor Pork, so and that's what most people seem to think Discworld is exclusively, so Yeah. This is actually my favorite part of the review. Granny doesn't have her friend Nanny August conversational foil and counterpoint in this book. And it's surprising how much that limits her character. What's more, Uh, while you can see elements of the character Granny eventually becomes, there's a surprising streak of country bumpkin in here. Here. It's... Yeah, that's her character to begin with. People change. This is another example of Patrick Rothfuss being like, um, what's character development? <laughs> Famous urbanite granny weatherworks. <laughs> everyone everyone in Lanka is, is like super smart city slickers. You know? Yeah. They're known for it. It's totally not like to jokes about how weird the country is. Yeah, he does go on saying in later books she loses most of that, which is for the best, and why she may not be worldly, she is still self-possessed and wise. It's just so weird that he doesn't consider this as, like, development, but it's, it's, it almost sounds like he's making the cinema scenes ding here, you know? <laughs> that the character is mm-hmm. not the same, uh, don't start out the same as they end up being. Yeah, and I think we said this the last time we we talked about yeah. him, but that's like the the main problem with quote in uh in in the Kingkiller Chronicles that like that motherfucker is just is just constantly smug. 
<laughs> it's know? just the worst. It's the worst main character I've ever read. I hate to hear the things he says. I hate to hear him talk about women. I hate everything about him. I think, is he? I is think he sort of, I've a... not read any of it. Is he a sort of Mary Sue kind of character? Totally. Like very good at everything. It's yeah. He's 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 ex- extremely dead. Yeah. <laughs> he's literally dead. Yeah. Uh, like he's like ah. Oh. It's so hard, but I actually have the ability to do everything immediately. Yeah. Um, it's like my, my secret skill is that I can do everything. I'm the best musician <laughs> and I'm the best at magic. I'm so good at yeah. magic that they actually pay me to go to the school. <laughs> Lucy, you're also... going to love this, but he's a D&D bard, like literally. I'm literally, yeah. I'm not, I mean, I'm not shocked. <laughs> Every woman, Every woman I meet instantly falls in love with me because I'm so clever and interesting. <laughs> I think I think it's just so funny when authors write in self inserts like that um, without seemingly a shred of realization. I like a smug character is so much worse than an asshole character. Like a smug character who's meant to be the protagonist is the worst thing, and that's like every single YA book. <laughs> mm-hmm. It sounds like Patrick Rothfuss instead of writing like characters with flaws and everything. He's trying to make a min-max D&D character so they can be most effective in the story. Uh, yeah. They can, they, can, they, can do, they can do good damage and have lots of skill points. It's, it's like, more like a max-max D&D character. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, um, <laughs> that, that's not what, writing, it's not what writing is supposed to be. <laughs> or good writing. I mean, he, he does have flaws in that as a character he stands up for um, justice too much, mm-hmm. which gets him oh. into trouble, um, and the people around him are horrible, so they don't like him, and that's his main um, conflict: is yeah. that the people don't like him, who are men. Damn, this sounds pathological. <laughs> yeah, all the women are like mysterious. Uh, they're either mysterious and aloof, but have loads of sex, but they have to be like rescued from that. Or they're like waif-like and sort of foolish and sort of, uh, you know, they don't know a lot, but they like live on the roof and they're like airy and stuff, you know? So it's There's Madonna Hall complex. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Hey, you all want to hear Manic the... Manic Dream Girls or Femme Fatales. Because this is not a uh, Name of the Wind podcast, <laughs> but I do want oh, yeah. to uh, want to call out the worst and best... Um, comments on this like one of this is the worst thing i've ever read one of the comments under this and this is by skip from december last year um and skip says dick him up make him write more please Mm -hmm. Uh, cool so it's pretty fucked up but then right above it is like a comment that i 100 percent agree with and this is by guler who says, Terry Pratchett, the master of books. <laughs> so on that segue, let's get to the book. <laughs> master of books is such an interesting way of putting it. Okay, so this is a story called Equal Rights, and it is about a girl in a small country town who is given a wizard staff by accident when she is a baby and has to decide whether she's going to be a witch or a wizard. And what that means for her, and for her magic and her life, um, with the help of the local witch, Granny Weatherwax, and yeah, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. 
yeah with the help of the local which granny uh, weatherwax who unfortunately doesn't have nanny og with her so she's not <laughs> as great as a character as she could be uh, and she's also a little too much of a country bumpkin but it's a good book <laughs> despite all that yeah um so immediately um and i yeah. i know that you guys also read this as well this is like a very trans narrative there's some gender in this. There's some gender in this. This thing. This yeah, whole thing's messed up gender. <laughs> yeah. Totally spicy. Like, I mean, I think the... I don't know if the original intent was to be more about women's rights, but I think, I this think so. Works, yeah, but I think this book works more accurately in support of a trans reading than one strictly about yeah. women's rights. Like, not to say that they're mutually exclusive, because they're not. Like, those two sections intersect massively but the themes about like breaking down the barriers of like rigid and restrictive gender roles are like it's very good i like this i like what it has to say yeah it's almost like um gen it's like yeah simultaneously about equal rights but also about the dissolving of that Mm -hmm. and positioning almost what people see is inherently gendered qualities as magic types. Mm. Yeah, and I yeah, think I do it, think it's 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 about like gender essentialism, definitely. Yes. Mm. Yeah, and false binaries. I yeah. 100%. I'm not quite sure if it is. I I would not go as far as it is definitely a trans narrative uh, purely because it's like about being a girl wizard i guess yeah but it's she's like... a cis character i guess like yeah i think it maybe is a trans metaphor like there's stuff in this that is i mean just... i feel i feel like it's yeah i think it's got like it definitely has echoes it. of it uh yeah i just and wouldn't like, yeah yeah because i think he's he's going here with what and and this is what radical feminism should be, and I think if you are to actually abide by it is, which is the purposeful recon- uh, deconstruction of gender roles. And that is a good thing. Like, we should deconstruct gender roles, and that's what radical feminism is. It's not about, you know, women are X, X, you know, it's stupid turf shit, but... I think this book has a lot to say about that and it is a genuinely, whether intentionally or not, something of a radical feminist text. Yeah, and the, <laughs> like, I guess we'll, although I, as far as I remember, it's done pretty well, but, like, there is, like, an actual trans narrative later on in the books and uh, with a character that you've probably not even met yet, Lucy, of the books you've read. Uh, probably and not. In, I've read up to God's Gods. So. Yeah. And in that case, it's like very clearly an intentional, uh, you know, pro-trans rights commentary. I think in this case, this case, it's definitely not intended. Although I also definitely read it as uh, there being echoes of that. Yeah, mm. I definitely. I found it interesting. Like when I read it last, I didn't know very much about like sort of gender theory and like transness and non-binary identities at all and i i still don't know very much about them but i know more than i did while on chalk <laughs> um and i i i don't know it changed how i read the book in a, in a quite a big way really i was uh, certainly seeing it in a much more like very much 
I don't know the the the, the sort of allegory I read was about gender rather than sort of particularly like women's rights mm. which is yeah. what I'd originally sort of read it as I think that's that's the initial yeah. reading but then I think if it depends how far into like reading theory and criticism you are because I think but the thing is like actual radical feminism is so much about trans rights if you do it properly that they're like inextricable like yeah. to be a feminist you have to be inclusive of trans people and I think that's what we're seeing. Yes. I almost think that the <laughs> it accidentally being a trans narrative almost makes it better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> otherwise, if he like if he tried to intentionally make a make it a metaphor, there might be it's it's much easier for especially a cis hat man to who who wrote this to. Like Zootopia, it you know. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yes. But I don't think it's quite like Zootopia because I think with Zootopia, the Zootopia effect is all about like I don't know positioning animals almost as races, which is just like insulting and mm. kind of awful. Yeah, especially if you position like a put upon a uh, type of animal as a predator, <laughs> that's not great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. I think this all like this gendered magic thing does almost like it is about gender and it is about that stuff explicitly. That was just when she she gets really really angry um, because the wizard that she's on a she's going to the unseen university, but she's met a wizard on the way who's told her that she can't that women can't be wizards because it just doesn't make sense, and um, she gets just really 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 angry. Mm. Um. And it's, she says, like, normally anger was like the red flame you got from the forge, but this had narrowed to a tiny blue-white flame that cuts iron. And she says, why, why was it then when yeah. she heard Granny ramble on about witchcraft, she longed for the cutting magic of wizardry, and whenever she heard Treetle speak in high-pitched voice, she would fight to the death for witchcraft. She'd be both or none at all. And the more she intended to st- they intended to stop her, the more she wanted it. Which, I don't know, just felt very, like... Yeah, it's... it's... I don't know, it felt very, like, non-binary yeah. to me. In like very, very a lot of ways, yeah, it felt like a sort of rage, rage of being, yeah, like a rage of being forced to choose, yeah, um, yeah, and, and like no I one think, even almost considering that there is another option, yeah. And I think there's a really good metaphor in this story where, um, so that, and again, I don't know if it's intentional or not, and maybe it is, I don't know, but so there's a point at which she and Granny Weatherwicks are. Tri- Weatherwicks, Weatherwax are traveling and they end up in a city, which I wrote down the name of, but I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, her and Granny Weatherwax are traveling to Ahulan and she ends up on a barge yeah. with the Zunes and then she goes like offshore with one of the Zunes after a while of traveling and they go to this market stall and this guy is trying to sell them ultramarines but they're actually sparkles, and she can tell that they're sparkles. Yeah. Um, but the guy she's with can't, who's buying them. And then they go to get the jewels checked, and they are sparkles. And she was right because she can like see the properties of things as they actually are. But she like asks for one to wear on a neck to wear as a necklace, and I think that's quite interesting as a sort of piece of symbolism as she's wearing this like piece of jewellery that appears one way 
and is valued societally as one way until like extremely closely and quote unquote scientifically examined to appear as another way. And I just I don't know. That's that it's a metaphor. <laughs> it, it, it's, yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and there's stuff like her um her disguising her wizard staff as a broomstick as well, which yeah. I just think is really I don't know, very interesting. Very sort of like I don't know, tra- trans wizard witch sort of I don't know, imagery. It's just really interesting. Yeah, particularly with the like brooms throughout history being associated with cleaning and thus like a um a feminine tool. Servile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then also the wizard staff is like a phallic image. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Staff and distaff. Together. That's what I if I was gonna do like a queer theory essay about this book, I think I could get a lot out of that. Yeah, probably. probably. <laughs> yeah, there's a I do kind of I do kind of want to like qualify at this point that I'm cisgender, so I always feel a bit like, you know, I'm not sure how much I can tread on this uh, to talk about things that aren't my personal experience, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. If we get something yeah. super wrong, please okay. call us out on it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I am cishet, so I will probably get things wrong. So I will not say things which I'm not <laughs> dead sure of. <laughs> please yeah. shout at me. <laughs> I mean, I'm also cis, but, like, I think some of this just reads so explicitly as, I don't know, it's what I, it's what I would call a non-binary narrative, but then again, you know, it's, it's coming at it from an outsider's perspective, so it's never going to be entirely accurate. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's but like, I- it, it is, cl- like, you know, and, uh, <laughs> gender narrative written by someone who's not affected by it and at at this point we are examining it as people who are you know trying to be mindful but still not writing about not talking about personal experiences so just keep that in mind i'm not saying we can't discuss it or that it's not uh it's not good at what it does just you know uh yeah but i did want to point out that he does actually like terry pritchett has this thing which is probably coming because it's it was written in the eighties, and the word gender hasn't gotten hasn't quite gotten as around or the you know the sex and the sex gender, gender distinctions d- distinction thing today. Yeah, because he does write at the beginning. Um, okay, the first two paragraphs actually. This is a story about magic and where it goes, and perhaps more importantly, where it comes from and why. Although it doesn't pretend to answer all of these questions. It may, however, help to explain why Gandalf never got married and why Merlin was a man. Because this is also a story about sex, although probably not in the athletic tumbling count the legs and divide by two cents. Uh, unless the characters get totally get beyond the author's control. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but so he's it's like... Yeah, it's just he's writing from a point in time where sex and gender meant... Yeah. More, like, were more... Um, oh, what's the word? The same Sim- thing. Sybil? Hmm. Interchangeable, yeah. Than than they are today, which comes across. And mm. I think he's also trying to write more about women's rights specifically. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I got that. I mean, the eighties were not the eighties. The eighties were not a very 
progressive time for LGBT rights. You know, even just the <laughs> Thatcher, the, the, thank you. The exist, like the open existence of of like even cis gay people was like debated in the public sphere as if it was something that you could debate. Well, yeah, because you I mean you have. I mean, definitely also like among uh, British uh, fantasy fans. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I do yeah. want to, yeah, because I, I I did want to say with that that he kind of using. I think it's a little bit unfortunate, not not of his fault, more of a time fault that he uses the word sex for gender because he, he clearly means to say with this this is this is a story about gender, hmm. uh, which is basically what yeah, we're saying. He wants, he wants to make a funny joke about having sex. He also so wants he to call it sex. <laughs> That's the thing because he is um, saying gender and sex as if they are the same thing. Because yeah. in this book, like it is proven not just by Esk but in general, like wizards and witches can be both, and it is only the rigid structures of those two um, types of magic that keeps them separate. Like you know, Granny Weatherwax saying, well, you know, you've never heard of like a, a boy witch, but like. S keeps saying warlock and also I don't see that there's any reason why like she couldn't teach a boy the same things and like S got given wizard powers when she was younger like super easy like <laughs> there's, yeah, there's nothing a, to like stop a them dumb from mistake. doing it yeah. yeah interestingly he doesn't like address this stuff really that much yeah he, he doesn't address this stuff again um, until a lot later in I Shall Wear Midnight, I think, where there is a male witch and there is a like a man who becomes a witch in that one. But that being one of his last books, it is interesting. It's this thing that sort of spans the entire series is this question of what magic is and what it should be. Mm. Yeah. It is weird, though, um, that, also, uh, yeah, he, what that means for different he gendered magic. doesn't <laughs> follow up on this for so long, on gendered magic things. Like, for the... Because he, he yeah. does end up writing a ton more about witches and a ton more about wizards. I think that's also the book where we see Esk again. But yeah, it takes really long until okay. yeah until Esk shows up again. Although I haven't read that book, but like I, I do know that she shows up again uh, very late in his uh, bibliography or in the Discord series. But it is kind of interesting how he doesn't like immediately build a universe out of the concept of uh, female wizards or male witches becoming a thing. Like he instead ends up writing much more about just, you know, a circle of female witches and a group of male wizards and the book where they interact. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I yeah. think there's... There's maybe even something to that if you're going to analyse that through a gender perspective in terms of academia yeah. as a whole being um, generally male. Um, and then you look... This is partly what this is, isn't yeah. it? It's the, um, yeah, the, academia. Yeah, uh, as an institution being um, too rigid and unopen to change. And, you know, you have that kind of thing with, like, the country bumpkin granny weatherworks. And her rigidity mm. and in like not being open to change, but it I don't think he's saying that it's like 
that's how it has to be. I think this book is so full of potential. And like obviously I haven't I haven't read the book where S comes back. I'm only just learning now that she does, which is nice. I like that. I'm excited to read that. <laughs> but yeah, because I like reading a couple books after this and not seeing any um female wizards is like I don't love it, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the statement could could be, you know, uh worked expanded. expanded better yeah yeah um i kind of wonder if it might be a a genre thing like Mm. i know pratchett's not your typical fantasy writer it's very much his own thing (laughs) Mm -hmm. but like fantasy is fantasy does have like quite conservative dna as a genre if you know what i mean yeah i mean particularly like if you look at all the stuff that wizards uh... of the coast have been doing recently with like getting rid of evil races like and like (laughs) A while ago, they had that whole, yeah, if you're a female human character, you have the same strength as a male gnome. <laughs> like, Is that real? Yeah, it was like, if you if you were a gendered That's character in something. D&D, you would have different... I don't think it um, was a 5e thing. Like, it's not I, a 5e, no, edition, not but... a 5e thing. This yeah. is like third edition, I think, where if you were a male right. or a female, it would, de- it would determine why. your strength. <laughs> I mean, they still have like racial features in 5e, which is like still yeah. dodgy. They're getting rid of that yeah. currently because of, you know, everything. Because, because they realized <laughs> that racism is real, yeah. They were like, hey, maybe yeah, there is they didn't know thing. before. No one had told them. Yeah. Um, luckily, everyone just found out that racism is a thing, which is... <laughs> it's, been, it's been really distressing for everyone to actually discover that, I think. <laughs> no. Yes, no, no, no one had told us about it before. We just didn't know it was occurring. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it is such a, like... It's so endemic of just fantasy as a whole, having these rigid you're born this way structures that makes change so difficult and it it's nice to read yeah. something that maybe isn't intended as like trying to make a change but certainly does that yeah like they're often fancy stories will be about sort of reaffirming the status quo yeah um and pratchett doesn't he does resist that i think like if you look at the discworld series as a whole there is like huge change uh, yes. like and the sort of the signs of change um, like within it, uh, it, sort of structurally and culturally within the disc world. Um, but equally, I think you know it is still fantasy, and I think that sort of the the genre because he is very clearly he, he uses genre. Yeah. Um, like it's it's like his lens, the fantasy genre, to look at look at sort of issues and whatever he wants to to talk about, be it like making fun of Phantom of the Opera or. Or like, or like, actually, like deconstructing gender roles, like in this, this book, and I think, I think, like, there's a sort of interplay between that, like a like a tug of war between yeah. the sort of the progressiveness of what he wants to write about, um, and the conservatism of what he's writing it through. I do kind of yeah. wonder, like, is this, is it a fantasy author's responsibility to use? his fantasy world to uh, comment on stuff like racism and sexism no. or is it better if he I mean... or if they avoid because because here's the thing like my general rule for gming fantasy games is that in the world even if there's like awful things like murder still existing stuff like sexual violence simply doesn't exist no one would even think of raping someone because that would make my player super uncomfortable you yeah. know and I also, think... like, there's no racism generally, and no, 
you know, it's not, no, it's not fun no to transphobia, play. no homophobia, because that would be like that would be super fucked up to have that in a game where the players are having fun. But I don't know if how much that's like an okay stance to have for a fantasy author. I say I think everything has to be done with intent. I yeah. think you can't just casually say, "Oh, everyone's going to be racist." Yeah. <laughs> just because I want it to be Yeah. I don't know, realistic. You have to be like, "If I'm going to make everyone racist, is this because I'm making commentary? Is it because I'm trying to say something or I'm trying to explore something?" Yeah. Or is it just because I think it's it's edgy? I think that's, it it would add flavor. That's the biggest thing. Like yeah. And I think that's my yeah. worst thing with like the I mean sexual violence is an issue in the Game of Thrones book in the A Song of Ice and Fire books as well but particularly with the show there yeah. are just unwatchable parts for me like because so much of the sexual violence in that show is for almost it, it's well it's to show that it's edgy but so much of it is almost for titillation that yeah. it just feels like for sure. yeah it's just gratuitous yeah. and it's the same with the homophobia yeah. and like I think in fantasy as a whole unless you're trying to make a point about that particular thing being bad and ultimately hopefully about that particular thing being um, destroyed what is the point because if you're writing a story about you know the good guys vanquishing evil and they live in a society in which there is endemic racism endemic sexism you know transphobia whatever and they don't also vanquish that it's like yeah. you aren't recognizing that recognizing that as a part of the evil not to be not to be real about game of thrones on a <laughs> podcast but i do think that uh the point you're making is interesting in a way that um because yeah the sexual violence is also in the books and while it's not handled perfectly it's <laughs> no. definitely done with much more intent in the books than in the TV show where it's uh, it's very gratu- gratu- gratuitous. <laughs> the fuck do you pronounce that word? Gratuitous. Um, gratuitous. But, but the comparison with the homophobia is interesting to me in a way that you know the sexual violence in the books is written in in uh, in a way that George R. R. Martin says, "Well, my world is based on feudal medieval societies, mm. and that was a reality there. Uh, so it makes sense to have it in there. There's no discussion of like there's no open homophobia in the books because that wasn't like the homophobia is is a concept that was invented in the 19th century." Yeah, because yeah. like medieval history doesn't work like that. They did not have the same weird like pseudo Christian gay bashing values yeah. that like we do now, unfortunately, as a society, and it's unpleasant to watch in the show. Yeah, yeah so it's like I, I think, and that's it doesn't a... come away with any kind of greater moral about it. It's like you know how exactly. the favor is bad because you're a viewer of the show and you live in like the 20th century and you like understand that what we're doing is evil, but it goes unchallenged within the context of the show yeah it uses it purely like it's sort of the aesthetics of hate as just something you can mm, yeah. put in to try and it's set dressing mm-hmm. yeah my my point yeah. is that the shows uh you know the show run, runners like david and dan clearly <laughs> never thought for a second if they want to uh like even even given the benefit of doubt that they wanted to 
which they don't. But if they had put in the homophobia and the sexual violence to criticize things, they clearly didn't think about if do they do want to criticize medieval feudal societies or modern day Catholicism. Yeah, because they fail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, I both. mean, and obviously that. They're just incredibly racist for the entire show, totally. so I don't think they were really examining that, probably. No, they're the people who say, uh, who, who will uh, make, uh, I don't know, funny gay jokes or, um, you know, who are super homophobic, but they say, I'm not homophobic because I I posted gay rights once on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, our uni, um, our uni rugby's team wore rainbow laces, so actually they don't have a a really um, a massive problem with being incredibly yeah. homophobic. That was a very funny mm-hmm. time because I'd posted an anonymous confession like, hey, the uni boys, the uni rugby boys are really homophobic and one of them was so pressed, he wrote an anonymous response like, actually, we wore rainbow laces. <laughs> so that that absolves us of using the F slur and the SU whenever we want and like, it's cool. Um, the rugby, the rugby lads really the absolute worst scum. Like, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Real Most likely to do blackface. Out of yeah. Anyone. Yeah. Well, and just like the fact that they basically took over a corner of the SU, so like, and they were just like grope people when they went like even near them. Yeah, it was cool to it's work just... there. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's, it's almost just... like you should ban the rugby society. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, moving yeah, we've on. We've gotten so far um... away from the books, but I did want to point out, like, Sorry. back to the books. Uh, I want wanted to uh, highlight. I don't have the. I don't think I have marked the pages, but uh, Granny Weatherwax's like character development on these uh, gender perspectives is, I think, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she does start out being like super gender essentialist, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. she's the one who convinces Daddy Smith not. <laughs> Not to send um, Escarina to... Like, she's trying to burn the, the staff and all. Like, she's literally trying to burn the phallic imagery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, think, that's like the first of... thing she does. And then yeah. she's like... She, she tries to make her into a witch. I, I just think it's very interesting with Granny's particular kind of essentialism. Yeah. In this. Because it's it's a very particular kind where... There's women and men, but there's also witches and yeah. wizards. So, basically, asks future if she stays where she is, is she gets to be a wife, and this comes up a lot. Um, people saying, "Oh, she'll make a good wife," or "Oh, wonder who'll marry her when she has these skills," or etc. etc. So, she can either be a wife, or she can be a wizard, uh, a witch. And Granny sees witch as separate from woman. Um, in a lot of ways, I think. It's sort of like you have the qualities that she sees as being female, but like which female? Mm. Mm. It's like being a professional. So, yeah, so she's like, you don't bow. You bow if you're a witch. You don't curtsy. You do things this way. You are you don't... Well, in this, it's not presented as in witches get married, but we know later on that witches do get married quite a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> most, most, of that, most of that is an Antioch, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. There's there's an interesting thing though with this being written in the eighties, right? Um and then like this um sort of professional womanhood emerging as like a a thing you could do more, like 
But like eighties like girl yeah, boss like eighties girl boss power suits and stuff. But you know the the stereotype that comes with that. You know you wear those padded shoulders in your like power suit. You don't have children. You don't get yeah. married. It's sort of you take loads of cocaine. You do loads of cocaine, absolute... and you're really good at your job, but you do not get married. And you're and miserable. You become prime minister, and you ruin the British. <laughs> yeah. You destroy organized labor. <laughs> I don't even know. It's like I guess it's like fantasy medieval-ish communities where there's going to be some sort of wise woman who does the baby stuff. She helps people give birth. She gives people medicine. She's like the village doctor, which is sort of what people would, I guess, see witches as. Yeah, yeah. cunning woman. Versus, versus folklore wizard, who's like a guy with a pointy hat who throws fireballs. And one is a lot more of like a, a vocation, which you do for the betterment of a community, where the others is about like individualized power. Yeah. Which is what she, like Granny Weatherwax brings up a lot, is that wizards have this urge for power and they live a bit more dangerously because they're so close to like dungeon dimension stuff and being overtaken by that power which yeah it's interesting i see what he's like trying to get through but it it does come in the end it becomes essentialism because they can't get rid of these binaries that they've placed on gender Yeah. yeah i think there's interesting stuff in this um with the marketplace the, um, mm. where Weatherwax and S go to and they meet Hilda is it Goat Herder? It's not Goat Herder it's Goat something like yeah, that. Yeah, another witch and she sells potions. It's like Hilda. Hilda yeah. yeah. And yeah. she sells like she sells contraceptives and she sells I assume like morning after slash abortion yeah, potions so. and stuff yeah. and like, like magical Viagra basically and there's that, that one line where Esk is like, what do these... Is it Esk or Granny Weatherworks? Esk, I Esk think. asks, like, what do these give people? Like, I know what potions normally do. And she's like, they g- it gives them freedom. And I think that's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. That was such a good line. And just this, like, yeah. the freedom to express yourself sexually is freedom. And it's this, like... I loved that. I don't know. It's very good. It's also like freedom not to have more children. It's like she says that there'd be a lot of families, you'd have a lot more kids and be a lot poorer if it wasn't for yeah. her. Yeah, she's like, oh yeah, they keep trying to shut me down, but these magistrates have wives. Which <laughs> <laughs> is really, really interesting for Terry Pratchett to like, because he does this a lot when he talks about the witches, is in one of their roles. Um, but he doesn't like shy away from just talking about like, I guess he doesn't explicitly say what it is, but it's very obvious. But he talks about like abortion and contraception in like this sort of medieval place quite a lot which i think is really interesting more than a lot of fantasy authors do yeah yeah medieval women and well women until the 60s really were ruled by that it it was a you know biologically rooted oppression yeah yeah well i mean the greeks had that flower that would um stop you having children um, except they um, overpluck, they like over harvested it, and it sort of died out. <laughs> they just wanted to fuck too much. Yeah, there are. There's plenty of natural like abortifacium herbs, but a lot of them are bloody dangerous. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. better having just like legalized <laughs> legalized abortions yeah. and healthcare. Yeah, but I think it. I think it's so important for a fantasy book to have that um, because I like there has never been a society. <laughs> that has not had abortions. Abortions have existed for as long as people have been having sex. Like, 
it's just mm. part of society. And I think it's very interesting that he includes it with this story of like women having power and it's very good. I like it. <laughs> There's a lot about this book that I really like. Oh, I do think it's really good. I just think, yeah, I, I also agree that it's a bit messy sometimes <laughs> in the messaging. It's not, it's pretty good, like in general, um, mm. but you know. It's trying to work out itself what it's trying to say. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Like, because he writes it, he writes it as he goes along. He doesn't plan stuff out. So he barely knows where it's going to end at this point. And I think he is almost trying to work out what he's trying to say as he writes it. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about this because, like, how many words did you say he wrote a day? Like, 400. 400. Is that, is that true? Because 400 is not much. Yeah, no, it's true. Well, he had a full-time job um, at this point. He used to write it in the evening, but he said he used to do it every single day, no matter what happened on that day, no matter okay. what was going on every single day. 400 okay. words a day is like a lot, I think. Is it? But Well, per week. like, And if you're doing it every day, I think that's quite a lot. I guess, yeah. yeah. But I think it's interesting if you look at like the progression of the books and like... I mean, particularly with the last two books where they just had these, like, scenes that would work really well as, like, episodes. be interesting to, like, plot <laughs> how many words are there in these, like, separate scenes that work with well episodes <laughs> where he was just like, oh, I fancy doing this now and let's forget what we were doing Textual archaeology, yeah. Yeah, I guess if it's literally every single day, no matter what, then it's... then it is still a lot. I'm just, you know, actually thinking about writing 400 words and it's like, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty quick to do, but you have to like yeah. know what you're gonna yeah. write, don't you? And yeah. you gotta, you gotta do all the dialogue, and you gotta, gotta figure out. When I, when I was a child, and I used to write, I used to do five hundred words a day because I wanted to do a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't do it every day because I don't have what he had: um, yeah. <laughs> skill, skill and talent, and also perseverance. But. Yeah, I think it's definitely not like a perfect message, but I I think myself I don't know what a perfect message would be. I yeah, it's sort of perfect um, like yeah. system. Pe- <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's just a lot to tackle also yeah. in people yeah. are messy in a funny dare I say wacky fantasy novel. Uh zany pat. <laughs> <laughs> We're not zany. Uh, don't call me zany. Um. <laughs> Let's actually talk about like how magic works because I think it's I think it's quite interesting. Like there's there's a lot more about the specific magic in this one than there was in the um, yeah. uh, mm. color fantastic books. I will say just the writing style and this does feel like incredibly more mature Absolutely. when he's writing stuff. There's a lot less sure. dialogue. The plot is much more easy to follow and much mm. more clear or much more, you know, has much more of a sense of purpose, I think, too. 100%. Yeah. yeah. There's there's a lot less dialogue. It's much more descriptive. Um, I've yeah. caught so far, like, three Greek myth references. <laughs> yeah, there's some very funny I, lines I as well. I don't know I'm reading into those. I was going to say, because I feel like um, what you're saying about yes. the magic, Janosch, is that the maturity sort of comes across in the way the magic yeah, works and absolutely. the way he talks about the magic. And this is where we're introduced to borrowing for the first time, which is an incredibly important form of witch magic that is basically important for all the witch yeah. books all the way through. And I will say mm. at this point, like, 
because I, I say this sometimes on this podcast, I think that I barely remember what most of these books are about. And for this book also, I don't, I have no idea what's going to happen in the second half of this. But the borrowing scene, <laughs> I remembered really clearly, like even before starting to reading this, read this book, like that was the one scene I remembered yeah. with like absolute clarity. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I, the idea, like the whole like um, strands of their minds being mixed up with the silver and like the, it's like the purple or blue of the bird's mind and her having to untangle them is very clear in my mind when I think of this book. The shapes of mind thing is always yeah, that stuck with me. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's like minds being a jelly mould and you can go into another mind but it will shape yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's a that's again another thing that comes up a lot in, in all these books is that form almost gives quality. Yeah. <laughs> Is that essentialism? Yeah, and, and mm. the thing the thing at the very beginning where um where Granny is borrowing, uh even before she teaches Ask, uh where she's like, Ooh, that's a little too much borrowing to do for uh for one day. Uh and I might be dizzy the next day and want the like crave the taste of corn or whatever. Or mice, I think she was an owl. Yeah. Uh which mm-hmm. which is like first of all a very cool concept it makes it makes the, i think it's the the like most important part i i might have mentioned this in the previous book too but it's like much clearer here is um the thing about magic as a limited resource and something that you're you can't use uh too much because otherwise it's going to eat you up like not like also the part about how where she she lights the fire with a match and with a lot of cursing because you know you wouldn't (laughs) want to use magic for things you can just do with your hands yeah Uh, so that's i think a a super essential thing and i I do think because at this point she's like like granny is like witches are like this and wizard magic is different they're just blasting fire or whatever (laughs) and i i I do think, like in the um, in the later books, uh, the wizards are gonna get closer to this, too. Like in a different way, I think. Yeah, wizards are wizards are in a way like mirroring witches too. I think because because uh, also the point about Granny being like it's all headology, mm. and it's mm. more impressive to uh, like it's more effective to impress people than to actually do magic. That's like also something that Ritkali, uh would do in the later books yeah the placebo affecting magic yeah it's just the wizards are more uh mm. more showy or more mm. like they're playing with different uh stereotypes but they're like also knowing of it like they're also knowingly doing headology just in a different way yeah and yes there's a what? thing it mentioned in I guess it came up in the Rincewind books briefly, which was about like balance and the balance of magic (laughs) and just shifting things slightly in one direction or the other to like massively change things. So like getting cut, but delaying when you get the cut. So you get it later when you have time or sort of moving energy from one place to another to free something or to burn something. And that's very similar, I think, to wizard magic as it's presented in the light fantastic where he talks about like opening the lock or that sort of stuff where it's all about just like adjusting 
small particles of things in the universe. And I think it is basically just the same magic. <laughs> it's just magic with just different approaches. Yeah, totally. Like, aesthetically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, different philosophies and historical and cultural contexts. Yeah. But which have become gendered. Also, I will mention Guards Guards with the... Uh, what's his name? With once being eaten up by uh, doing the dragon mm. magic. Like, that's also... Or yeah. that's also like the same thing as here, and, uh, you know, not wanting to borrow for too long. Yeah, and Triman yeah. in the Light Fantastic, um, reading all the spells. Yeah, bar one, I guess, but basically losing his entire body to it. It's very interesting, like the way they describe um, human minds versus animal minds, and like human minds being very like not as sharp. <laughs> Because they're thinking about so much. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if that connects, especially. Yeah, I do think mostly, like, at this point, um, the wizard stuff... I, I don't know how it's going to be in the second half of the book <laughs> again. But, like, at this point, from, like, light, fantastic, color of magic, the wizard stuff is just simply less um, less well thought out as the witch stuff. Or as the borrowing stuff, for example. And again, I think the whole power thing is... The main philosophy of the wizards is um, magic as a source of power, and then again, which is it's a source of community rather than yeah. power. And again, I think it comes up frequently in the Tiffany Aching books, which is that there is this danger of witches going to the bad and using magic to dominate small minded people and using it to control rather than doing the messy jobs and doing it for the betterment of the community. And I think that's the sort of that's the sort of philosophy of witchcraft as Granny Weatherwax sees it. Um, it's the sort of Granny Weatherwax school of magic. Yeah. Is there something to mention in the things that happened like towards the end of this week's reading? The dungeon yeah. dimensions is weird. And it it's quite a big thing in the early Discworld series and then kind of disappears entirely. Um, I guess it does. I think he just gets bored with talking about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there's just not a lot of... I think it's mostly there to just be like, oh, there's, con there's like consequences to doing magic and they're really, really bad, but like it's a lot to get yeah. into them every single time. Yeah, it's it's just that Mitra quote about staring not into abysses because those abysses might look back into yeah. you as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, because there's, there's stuff um, that's similar that witches have to deal with, again, more in the Tiffany Aching books, which is normally malevolent powers that are attracted to powerful witches, but they're like entities rather than an entire dimension. Yeah. This is good discussion. Yeah. I like this. Yeah, it's good. I don't think this is the most coherent we've been in terms of like actual literary criticism. Well, there's a lot more to talk about <laughs> in this than there was in the like yeah. fantastic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's less less wizards be, uh, wizards being in love with insurance salesmen in in this one. So, you know. <laughs> Not that I don't know. Okay. Who can say it, which yeah, of this exactly. is better? <laughs> And like it was interesting when um, Granny Weatherwax throws the staff in the fire and then Esk starts screaming a load. That's like <laughs> her connection to the staff. I thought that yeah. was pretty, 
pretty That's pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> Granny Wiseau acts burning a child. I like that the staff is also presented as having, I guess, an agenda of its own, which I think tools are often presented in these books as having their own sort of agenda, like their own, or maybe own purpose, um, which is a mm. theme. Yeah. What's with the, what's with the zones? Like, what was that about? I don't know. He just thought it'd be funny, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Does it ever come up again? No, um, not really. I don't think no, so. not the Zune specifically. Because I, I just didn't have an idea if Zune is supposed to be like a family name. It's a tribe, it says. What, what, yeah, what like traveling people. kind of tribe? I guess like travelers? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's sort of traveler, Romany mm. kind of thing. Because I didn't know the other... Yeah, because... Related to Romani thing, I I wasn't sure if this is like an offensive stereotype or is he just talking out of his ass? It was very weird. I'm not sure it's even. I don't think it corresponds to any sort of um, <laughs> stereotype. I, I really, think he does say no. a Romani slur at one point, which sure at this point was probably oh, not yeah, considered does. a slur, but it's it's still weird to have uh, human ethnicity just thrown into this fantasy book that doesn't have like other ethnicities uh, or like the, the british understanding of that word is is weird it's it's is he just supposed to mean traveler at this point like yes. nomad yeah. basically yeah basically god yeah yeah that's how it sort of was used and often kind of still is used yeah it's still, yeah it still is used mm. not um, a fan <laughs> which not great, no. No. no Again, it's... I'm willing to look past it simply because of the time, uh, but still, <laughs> kind of weird. It's a it's a very British thing, I think. Yeah, you it's, still it's, hear it like yeah. a lot today from mm. like mainstream media as well, well it's as used in it's used in like official language to refer to Romani people by museums, by parla- parliament, by. Yeah, if you ever like have to tick off like a nationality thing for a form, it's right there. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's still there. I mean, it's not considered a, a slur by a lot of people. They just it just gets used as a a name. Although that doesn't make it not yeah. a slur. I want to be clear. I'm not saying that. It's <laughs> sure, yeah. like it is, it is one. I mean, there's literally <laughs> yeah. A, a band that starts with that and then kings like a flamenco mm. band yeah uh and like sure fine they're romani people so they're allowed to use it but like still like you're gonna tell your friends i'm going to a romani this kings concert. concert they're pretty good live i've heard <laughs> i'm sure they are they're good they're I good know, like they're one good song yeah. of theirs falari is good i like it <laughs> The the cover of uh, Hotel California. Oh yeah, I know two songs by the them. The Lebowski. Because I, <laughs> I also heard the Hotel California cover. It's definitely better than the original. Because I, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't I don't remember ever having heard it. I have seen the Big Lebowski, so I guess I have. But I, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't it. think I've heard. It's that. the bit with Jesus. Oh yeah, yeah. God, that scene is so funny. Sorry to like Stan. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna talk about the Big Lebowski again. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to be a fan of a movie that uh, that is famous to have horrible fans. But Even I do after think you guys know, really I haven't seen it. <laughs> yes, I know. It's. I will it's say good, this: like good. out of the you know college dorm room poster movies, it's the one I'd 
most watched like any time. <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's aged much less worse than I'd say Pulp Fiction did. Yeah, it's very embarrassing. I used to have like the Pulp Fiction CD, and I'd listen to it like over and over again. <laughs> Look, <laughs> we've all we've all been pretentious at some point in our lives. Some would say that some, some of us still are. It's a pretty good soundtrack. <laughs> I, I also did that. Jackie Brown had a good soundtrack. Um, oh, I did want to very quickly address the Patrick Rothfuss Granny Weatherwax Country Bumpkin uh, controversy. <laughs> Um, which again is this thing um, Terry Pratchett has it quite a lot I think because he's always saying he didn't start reading books until he was like 12 Like <laughs> he wasn't into <laughs> books where he draws this distinction between people who read a lot of books and are therefore book smart yeah. people who know a lot and maybe don't even care about books and he doesn't present this as like an evil trait where the bad people don't care about books and the good people care about books. He's a lot more like some people just don't care about books and that's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, he does have like both an affection for uh, for the dweeby book nerd types and yeah. also for Patrick Rothfuss voice country bumpkins. Well, yeah, because like Granny Weatherwax straight up using book paper for toilet paper and yeah. good for Which her. is exactly what Cohen Co the Barbarian also <laughs> had that joke. Because he does love to repeat jokes and he does it all Look, the time. He does this, poop <laughs> jokes are always going to be funny. But the thing about using books as toilet paper, I think he does in a way to like upset people who are really into yeah. books as like a fetish object. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think Terry Pratchett only likes uh, people who are into books when they're also like super dweeby and like you know fall over their own own legs. Like he doesn't like the. He doesn't like the academic or like the the self serious book types, I guess. Yes, he has a he has a a pretty big hatred for sort of uh, like elitism, um, like intellectual yeah, elitism. Exactly. I think he finds yeah. upsetting. Um, he talks a lot. He gets very upset in his essays about when he was eleven, and his head teacher thought he couldn't do the eleven plus because he thought he was too dumb. Um, <laughs> oh, that was like a thing. The what? <laughs> oh, he has, this is like a chip on his shoulder. Basically, it decides whether or not, if you're smart and you pass the 11 plus when you are in lower school. Literally in like 11. The, in the olden times. If, if you yeah. go to, if you go to a, a, like a school that mostly had, like, was well-funded and, like, middle and upper class children went to, you'd pass. And if you went to a shit school, you'd, you probably wouldn't. It was supposed yeah, it to be a progressive thing. Whether you get to go to grammar school or not. Basically, yeah, it was supposed to be a progressive thing, but it actually just divided like yeah, the it's education like into you two have to tiers. take a test when you're 11, and that's going to decide the entire progression of your career. Even though that oh, okay. everything you do up to the point mm. where you're 11 is completely dependent yeah. on your family situation. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I for some reason lot, I like, thought you meant uh, his teacher thought you're 11 years old but you wouldn't be able to tell me what 11 plus 1 means <laughs> uh, <laughs> no I should have clarified yeah no, um, like British people of like a certain age uh, are very like, traumatised the by the 11 plus <laughs> yeah it's bad it was really bad <laughs> yeah yeah it was yeah, bad we got rid uh, of it it still, ha it still occurs in some places there are still grammar school systems in some places I think Salisbury has, has it mm. cool 
In yeah. my town, you went to the private school or you <laughs> went to the comprehensive school, and that's the two-tier system. Yeah. Well, that's, anyway, that's just was, the whole of the country. I was really just well, going to... other places have grabbed. Just going to say <laughs> yeah. about the counter-bumpkin thing. Like, the, the, this does... I think Petro Rothfuss does show his entire ass here, because... Because the country bumpkin. <laughs> when does when does he not? His yeah. ass is always out. It just it just sounds so classist to me to like talk about country bumpkin in in such a I don't know such a reductive manner. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, because she's like an established midwife in this, and she's from a medieval, like really isolated, mountainous, rural medieval place. Like, is she supposed to be all like edu- like well educated? <laughs> like... Well. It- it's like she can't spell very well, but who cares? Yeah. Um, and she, is when she's training Esk, she's talking about all these herbs, and she's like, name five herbs for toothache or whatever. And she has all this like very, very encyclopedic herb knowledge and mm. understanding of like medical. It's stuff, medical knowledge. That's... It's more than any of the fucking yeah. wizards at unseen universities. Largely in oral history. Yeah. I did laugh at the part where she was like, "Oh, you you think you're ready to be a witch? Name three herbs." <laughs> <laughs> name name three yeah. of the best-selling herbs. <laughs> doing a bit where you dress up as a witch and ask people on the street name name a herb. <laughs> yeah, go up to go up to people like wearing witchy outfits and be like, "Oh, you're dressed as a witch. Okay, but do you actually know like the law?" <laughs> Should you give uh, bog myrtle to pregnant women? Yes or no? No. No, it's a botafacin. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. What if they that don't want it? That means pregnant women cannot drink the mead I made the other day. You put bog myrtle in it? Oh right. yeah, because it smells amazing. Just in case. Well, it's like a traditional drink. Okay. What will it do to you if you're not Probably pregnant? nothing, right? Uh, it will taste It'll taste nice, I think. It smells beautiful. It's like citrusy and gingery and all sorts of good stuff. You're going to poison your whole family, George? <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> Um, I know how to brew. <laughs> I know. I'm just joshing you. Let's yeah. end it. Yeah, good idea. I'm just talking about brewing now. That's the that's surefire sign to end. Absolutely. Okay, so that was our discussion of the first half of Equal Rights. A lot of fun. I can't wait to finish yeah, the book and to talk find about out that. What happens in the second half of which I apparently don't remember anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll be back next week to talk about that. Um, once again, welcome to all our new Facebook fans. We love you. Yes. Um, we rambled a lot less in this episode than normal. Yeah, we talked more about the book itself. No one mentioned Amanda Palmer once. Uh, until oh, now. We did. Yeah. Oh, now you've done it. <laughs> Amanda's own. Should we do other podcasts? Should we Let's do that? Let's go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you're listening to this, then we all have other podcasts. Me and Lucy do a podcast called Fred Says Fuck, but it's also, it's called Fred Says Funk on iTunes, uh, which is just a Scooby-Doo rewatch. And me and Janosch uh, are involved in a, a Song of Ice and Fire reread podcast called A Song of Babies and Puppies. And you can check out my podcast about mead called Knowing Mead, Knowing You. It's a real podcast. Okay, that's fake, but I also that's have another real. podcast called uh, The Age of Pots. Please check that one out. It's about Sufjan and Stevens. Yeah, we did talk about the new album release, if you want to get the news on that, and also the episodes on... What are we doing next? All Delighted People. 
are gonna start dropping real soon. Oh, um, George. By the way, you should start that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm not doing that. <laughs> I don't know how much there is to say, but I I want to hear one about episode it. about like, mead, and that's it. It is fermented honey. You drink it, and it tastes good. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for listening. To Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Beyond Strong in the Arm is much. your uncle. Beyond Strong in the Arm is in the room. Um, he's watching me, and he's nodding, and he's saying, I'm your uncle. He, Beyond Strong in the Arm says trans rights, I think. Mm. He does say trans rights. He does rights. say trans rights, and Rinswin says fuck. Rinswin mm-hmm. says fuck, yeah. Stan Rince Flower. Trend, stand with Bye. 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 listening to a good episode productions network podcast see the website for more details